Today we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Family, and it's a relatively new feast. It's only 99 years old. Uh, Pope Benedict XV created this feast day uh, in 1921. Uh, if you think about it, it was right after the pandemic there for the last couple of years. And uh, Europe and all of the world was broken by disease and so many deaths and families just decimated. And so I imagine that was part of his thinking, how to reinvigorate families and give hope. And so uh, we celebrate this feast. And it's a strange feast in one sense because it's the only one that I can think of in the church year that celebrates not Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, but Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as a unit. And it's their re relationship with each other as family. Oh, there are feast days where there's a whole bunch of people remembered, like uh, there's some martyrs, and then they have their companions that were martyred with them. So there's the, the one feast day, uh, the feast day of the one named person, and then all of the companions that died with him or her. But this one celebrates the unit called family and the interrelationship. And I know that, um, you know, the, the prayers and everything are like, imitate the holy family. Uh, and so you have to ask yourself, well, why were they holy? Is it because they said novenas or rosaries? Is it because they prayed together? Uh, all good. And I imagine they did pray together. I'm sure they did. They were good Jews. But the real thing that makes a family holy is how they respond to their lives. And especially to the dark and the difficult times. I sat there this morning uh, looking out at this gloomy sky and thinking, Oh, perfect day for Holy Family. It's, it's when the family goes through gloomy times, dark and troubled times, that shows you the kind of family that that family really is. What makes them good and holy? It's the way they respond to life. Um, um, I've become a big fan of how the brain works. I, I, I just keep getting hit by information, and I suppose in comparison to uh, computers, like yesterday I was looking for something uh, on YouTube, and all you do is put a phrase in there. All I put was, scene of Catherine Hepburn, colon, uh, every family has their ups and downs, and boom, all this information comes, and all these YouTube uh, clips of that scene from Lion in Winter. Uh, so I was thinking about it, at, uh, and, and actually, th this is what popped out of my mind as I was thinking about family, that one line that I heard of over 50 years ago in a movie. Now, I maybe saw the movie a second time, but that's all. There are countless movies. I can't remember the title. I can't remember who was in them. I, I, they were so boring, and they were pitiful that somebody says, remember this movie? I said, I really don't. I really don't. It's just gone out of my head. But Lion in Winter, oh my goodness, what a great movie. Uh, she won her third Academy Award. The music was delicious, just amazing. But there was this one scene that was fantastic. There's a lot of fighting in it. It's a great movie, and it's, it takes place at Christmas time. Uh, uh, King Henry II would bring Eleanor out of, uh, he, he had her in another palace in prison, living apart from him because he was philandering with all these other young women. And so uh, they didn't dissolve their marriage, but they lived completely separate lives. But twice a year, Christmas and Easter, he would bring her out to his palace. And um, very, oh, medieval and, and very gloomy kind of a palace, too. But in this, uh, after a lot of fights and a lot of arguing and just incredible language, there's this scene where they're really going at it. 
Henry and, and Eleanor. And she's holding on to him, and he's pulling himself away, going out the door. And as he goes out the door, she just, she just lets go and falls on the ground. And she's lying on the uh, face down on the floor, and she looks up, and she says, Every family has their ups and downs. That's her line. And I, that's what hit me yesterday. And I thought, you know, it's the truth. Every family has their ups and downs. Now, many times we don't see them because most families have enough pride to keep their skeletons in the closet, right? And they lock that door tight. Don't go be telling people what, what we do in our family. So most families have a, an exterior look that looks very nice, and we protect it. But if you get inside the walls of their home and see what goes on, and uh, some of it is because of their own weaknesses, addictions develop, um, a lack of loyalty or fidelities, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, their little um, ghosts come out of themselves, you know, their, their pettiness and their arguing and, and they can't let go of things and their jealousies. All that stuff's a part of humanity, part of every family. But then there's these big tragic moments that come, deaths, a, a year like this. And it seems to me that, that it's really worth and I think Benedict XV was smart to do this, to create this feast day of the Holy Family, not to compare ourselves in terms of some kind of exterior holiness, you know, no one ever gets mad in our family or something like that, but precisely to talk about how we become holy by the struggles and challenges. What comes out of us that makes us better? Um, over this last year, I've, I've come up with this little quote that when, whenever an obstacle comes our way or a challenge, especially a real difficult one, it, it can do only one of two things. It will either make us better or it'll make us bitter. And I see it all the time. I see people become embittered by life because things happen that were painful and difficult and they just can't let go of it. Others go through the bitter pain and they discover more gifts, other stuff. And probably mostly because they really rely on God. And they dig down into the deepest part of their spirit and ask God to be there with them. We have a good example in the first two readings. Uh, we had choices today, but I chose these two because they both focus on Abraham. And Abraham and his wife were old, sterile, couldn't have kids. For Jews, that was about the worst curse that was possible. But he had met God, and God created a covenant with him and made the promise of all these gifts. And like a good Jew, he fought with God and argued. He said, what are you talking about? What good are all these gifts if I don't have any children to pass them on to? And he says, no, don't worry. Go out, look at the stars. You're going to have that many kids. Oh, yeah, really? I'm not going to even be able to pass it on to my inheritance. I'm going to have to give it to one of my servants when I die. God says, no, no, you're going to have a child. You're going to be blessed. In the second reading from Hebrews, it's a reflection on that. And it, it even says that Abraham, who was dead, dead because, uh, not because he died, but because he couldn't pass his stuff on to anybody that he could call his own. It was like he was dead. But then he has his son, his only son, after years of sterility and uh, years of, of no child, and in his old age, 
he and his wife have this son. And then God says, well, if you really love me, prove it. Offer your son up as a sacrifice. Kill him. He doesn't even discuss it with God. He just, okay. And you know the story. We listen to it at the Easter Vigil, the third reading every year at the Easter Vigil. And he has his son Isaac even carrying the sticks that are going to become the, the bonfire for him. And he says, Dad, well, well where, where's, where, where's the animal we're going to offer? Shall I go get a goat or something? He says, no, 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 God will provide. Whew. If he only knew. And he's about to kill his son, and God stops it, and he proves his fidelity to God. A, a story to teach us about obedience and faithfulness to God. In that responsorial psalm, you kept hearing about fear of the Lord. And that fear isn't to be afraid because God would harm us, but because he's so great, we have to come to God with the utmost respect. And yet, like Abraham, argue with him, God, why? What's going on? Teach me, show me, help me see it, because I don't. And if we're willing to get into that struggle and, and, and deal with God and let God deal with us and dig down as deep as we can into our spirit, we are told and we have countless examples and we see the holiness that comes out of that, that flows out of the struggle. So today and after, wow, a year, 2020, never to be forgotten. After this year, you know, our families have been pressed to the edge. Many have had members fall over and they're gone. It's been a tough, 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 tough family year. And on the other hand, some amazing things have happened, I'm sure, in every family. I suspect some families have grown much closer together, have learned how to give more generously, have learned how to forgive more generously. I'm sure all kinds of things have happened re pre precisely because of the stress and struggle that we've been through. I'm not holding this up as a, as a thing we would wish for. God, give me more struggle. Give me more struggle. No, but God, help me through this struggle. Help us through this struggle. Make us a family that is fully aware of your presence and love in our lives and depends on your grace and is faithful in our response to you.